I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome back to the French Football Podcast with me, Tim Groves, former Claremont and France hooker, Benjamin Kayser, and ex-Bayon, Montpellier, Casback Row, Johnny Beatty. We'll have a look at the barrage in the top 14, as well as the Basque Derby to decide to be playing in the top 14 next season. And we'll be having a chat with a very special guest too. But how are you two doing first? Good week? Sun is out. Uh, people are still smiling. The restrictions obviously are postponed to be lifted in England, but I don't think it's going to really going to change our lives uh, dramatically apart from international travel. Uh, I would love to for it to reopen, to be able to go back to France, my in-laws to come, my in-laws, my parents to come and all that, but otherwise good. And I'm currently in my little student accommodation back to school. Are you in the halls of residence? Where are you, Benji? Oh, mate, the, the Oxford halls are still Oxford, right? So <laughs> oh, I was going to say, still, of course they, they still are. look good, I'm telling you. But no, 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 it's 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 cool. And I actually, and I met up with, um, there's a varsity match that's just around the corner. I met up with, there's some US internationals that are joining because they're going to study here. And I met up last night with Andrew Duratalo, who's oh, yeah. an absolutely lovely guy, um, who's an Olympian for, for the US 7s team. And he will be part of the varsity match team for the Blues, hopefully on the 4th of July in Welford Road. And Johnny, good week. Uh, it has been absolutely roasting in France. It got up to about 36. Um, so for a pasty Scotman, Scotsman, that was quite uncomfortable. Um, so I managed to escape the southwest. I got up to Paris, so covered both the barrage games. Um, more importantly, just being in Paris and restaurants being open, being able to sit and have a beer in a restaurant, have it poured a, a proper pint is just an absolute game changer mentally. So that was really cool. Up in Paris, I hired myself a little bike, went for a whistle-stop tour of the Eiffel Tower and a few different sites in Paris, like a tourist, um, which was good crack, and then did the Barrage Games, um, which we'll get onto for Canal Plus and for Premier Sports, and sat and watched Beer It's Bayonne, which was probably one of the best games of rugby I've ever watched. So, no, great weekend without any kids. We've got a new sponsor on board, haven't we, Benji? We do, mate. We do. Listen, uh, the French are known for their joie de vivre, obviously. Their, their <laughs> poetry, their wine, but massive about their food. But yeah, we've got something for everyone to cook as a Frenchman. So the meter is the world's first best wireless smart meat thermometer. My length shoulder has never tasted better. I can pretend that I'm like an absolute rock star. I can finally make my password proud. And Johnny, you're cooking like a Frenchman now, aren't you? Are you using the meter? I enjoy Cote de Boeuf pretty much every weekend, which isn't easy to do. So look, it removes all the faff out of it. When I have French families over, 
they can maybe judge me for being a British cook, but this sort of passes me off as a, as a French cook. I get it right every weekend now. So no, it's helping me in saving my bacon on my plancha at the weekend. Absolutely. It takes all the guesswork out of cooking, whether it's in the oven or in the barbecue. And if you want to bring your A game to the table this summer, like Johnny and Benji, you can get your hands on a meter with 10% off by using the code FrenchPod10 at meter.com. That's the code FrenchPod and the number 10 at meter.com. Raise the stakes with meter and the French Rugby Podcast. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And this is your official invite to come and join our brand new cycling club. Now, good news, it's a podcast too. So you can come and listen to us, try and build this club from scratch, and we'll have a few familiar faces joining us for the ride too. Right, G, time to tell everyone what we've called this club. Well, we thought long and hard about this, so we come up with a strong original name that really stands out. The Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Yeah, I suppose it's easy to remember at least, isn't it? We will have new episodes for you every single Tuesday. Come and join us. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Let's chat about that beer. It's by on game then, Johnny, because you said you watched it in a bar in Paris and... Yep. Epic, wasn't it? Absolutely epic. Um, Gut-wrenching to watch from a buy-on perspective. But look, having fans in in the stadium um, and then the intensity, seeing how much it meant to not only the players, but the people and the build-up around here during the week, you know, drumming around buy-on beer, it's generating support, going around, hanging around flyers, hanging out flags. The place was absolutely buzzing. And, And I think all of it was just unleashed at Stad Aguilera and Biritz at the weekend. It was just an absolutely insane game of rugby in terms of the intensity, the desire, teams fronting up. You sort of felt Bayonne didn't want to lose and Biritz just wanted to bludgeon them to death. It was three all after 80 minutes. Now, historically, when you look back at the images and how it finished with Steph Armitage knocking over that kick to win it for Biritz, you just don't get bigger. And again, heartbreak for Bayonne who have had this project of reconstructing the club, now relegated, they're probably going to lose all of their best players and you go back to square one, which is extremely hard for Bayonne. But look, in terms of beer, it's the journey they've been on, the way they played at the weekend, key players standing up, they were phenomenal. And the history of the club, you know, they haven't been in the top 14 for seven, eight years. So to get back to that level with Steph Armitage, with Francis Saili, with these guys leading a bunch of young, keen, hungry French kids coming through the academy that are just outstanding, it was one hell of a game of rugby. And Benji, we will get on to talking about the, more of the positives in a minute. 
but Johnny mentioned the fans. There's been a bit of controversy, isn't there? Well, I don't know how it's possible, but it didn't look like there was 5,000 people. Obviously, I can't count, and that's the whole thing behind it, is that they got Neither angry because <laughs> they said there was a lot more than 5,000. The, the fans invaded the pitch at the end, which fool. obviously isn't really great in terms of social distancing. You know, people were going mental. Apparently, allegedly, there wasn't enough checks, and some people managed to sneak in uh, ticket lists uh, towards the end. I don't know. All I know is that I don't think there was anything majorly, majorly illegal that was done there. And obviously in the heated of moment, it's impossible to then control 5,000 people in the stand not to run on the pitch after so much so, oh, that's so, impossible. So, so much time you know, waiting unless you have an army of security guards. It's just obviously mission impossible. Again, it, it got to the point where I think, what is it, the, the, the sort of the local government body, government body of the department started saying they're going to raise an investigation. I think that's something that should be dealt with internally instead of announcing it in the media. Send a letter to Barrett's president and say, listen, we're going to triple check things here because you just can't mess around. And it's, it's true that it doesn't give out a, a fantastic image. Everybody's making sacrifices at the moment. We all need to be careful. Again, it, it, even if there was a couple of hundred people extra, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it shouldn't be front and center of the conclusion of this uh, of this game there's it's a, there's a much bigger picture there's also how do you measure the happiness that it gave to the people that were there right so as long as they were happy as long as they weren't being foolish as long as long as they didn't bluntly cheat i i don't i'm okay with it i wonder what percentage you added though to the performance of Buritz. so having x number plus fans than they should have and that drive and that noise and that kicker um how much it would help and, and normally you would think a lot, substantially, massive. Like that wall of noise can be a real motivator. My question was going to be Benji. In terms of trouble that Beerits could get into, what does that look like? They can't no, have yeah. they can't have the promotion taken away because it's no, it's not the league that's against them. It's a government thing. So is it going to be a heavy financial penalty, or is it going to be okay next season? We're not going to allow you to have home fans in your stadium for the first five games, or what could it look like potentially? I have no idea. Uh, for one, they need to prove because this is all allegedly. So I don't know how they can prove it. Listen, if they show them, if they show them that they sold five thousand tickets, there's no way that people can count on image, right? So um, there, there's an easy way. You need to prove them that they're guilty before you assume of everything. I think it's what you said. It's the worst case scenario, they'll get a financial um, penalty, which is never nice, and they need the money at the moment, and potentially maybe yeah, the first. The beginning of top 14 next year might be penalized and the first home game will have to be a reclo with with no with no fans. That's potentially the worst thing that can happen. I think we're not talking about canceling the relegation. I think it just it's just about leading by example. There's there's a curfew at 11 p.m. in France at the moment, unless you have a special accreditation or whatever, a special permission from the government because you're there for work or for a special reason or something like the cast whatever uh, game the last game against uh, Toulon where there was a thousand people or 500 people in the stands and they all said that they were they were working mate they were the crazy no guys with the with the tambourines <laughs> and, you know and and the, their face painted and all that so if that was a cor corporate event my ass is chicken and um and, and and so they did it that way so I think for Burritz it's pretty much the same thing um, that shouldn't be in media for me. Just deal with it. Do an investigation. Go and see the... Well, you can't go to Birds. He'll be in Ibiza in a couple of minutes. But still, you know, just like deal with it internally. Your ass is chicken. That's all I heard. <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, the other image that came up from the weekend, did you see Teddy Thomas at the game? Yeah. It's like the photo of Teddy Thomas sat in the stand without mask 
amongst 30 other people without mask. I'm like, mate, could you imagine if he picks something up and takes it back to Racing and they can't play whatever their semi or their final because he's not watching a game? It's just bonkers. Like You're thinking, why? Just do the simple thing and stick a mask on. I couldn't believe when I saw that come through. Could you imagine Jackie Lorenzetti goes back up to Racing on a plane journey again, obviously, because you have to travel with loads of other people and he's picked something up. That would be absolutely mental. And then his ass would be chicken as well, 100%. And Benji, on to the positive. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen the game, the difference was one kick. Went to a penalty shootout. Stefan Armitage put Beeritz into the top 14. But the game itself, your take on it, because there was obviously nothing between them, was there? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think we're going to speak a lot about it, obviously, because it's a very intense moment and we've got a special, very cool guest who's doing us an honour. But um, it was just absolutely huge amount of heart and just sheer determination to go minute after minute. I could, I, I honestly, I, I felt I was tired with them. I felt that I was out of breath with them. <laughs> And those long picking goes when you know somebody's going to break, something's going to happen. But those sequences happened, I don't know, 12 or 15 times. There was a few key moments from the 70th to the 80th moment where you thought Bayern going to snatch it, Berets are going to snatch it. And then there's the overtime and it's all again the same thing. And then you see the penalty shootout coming in. So it was just an extraordinary moment of rugby where you felt that people desperately want. These are the emotions that we love about rugby and sport in general. It's just, it's untouchable, unmeasurable, but when your brain decides collectively to do something extraordinary together, sometimes nothing can stop you. And in rugby, there seems to be, you know, you always say you get the lucky bounce, you get the lucky penalty, you get the lucky thing. But if you looked at whenever there was a ball on the floor, there was a Beerus guy who would jump on it. When there was a tackle to be done on the ankles, it was a Beerus guy who was there. Yes, it was clumsy. Yes, it was. They were on, the, on there was 700 probably driving balls on that game. There wasn't a lot of rugby actually played. And they were, they were hanging on by a thread for a long, long time. But the amount of moments where you're like, oh, this time they're going to concede a try for sure. And then some guy rips it out and then rah, they're back. You know, there's a series of pick and go. You're like, this time they're definitely going to concede something. And then Steph Harmichis pulls the, the, you know, the, the one steal 50 centimeters from his line and then steals that ball there. Rah, they're back. It was just a roller coaster of emotion that was extraordinary. Really, really heartwarming. Whether you like Birritz, Bayonne, whoever you support, it was just a fantastic display of what rugby can be when it's played with just a huge heart. Well, we can have a chat now with a hero from Saturday and a man who will surely never have to buy a drink in Beeritz ever again. Stefan Armitage joins us. How are you, Stefan? Uh, not too bad. Thank you very much for having me again. Honestly, not too bad? <laughs> I've been better. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, talk us through it. Probably one of the most famous victories we'll ever see in French rugby. What's the party been like? Because that was some game. Talk us through the aftermath. Still don't think it's actually kicked in properly, to be honest. Like... Like just a whole, just a whole day, bit by bit, trying to break it down, like how it all went, and then being involved in a match with three-three after eighty minutes. I've never been, like I've seen it on, like I've seen it on like TV, you know, back in the days and stuff like that. But to be involved in one of those kind of games, it's like it's all bizarre, bizarre. And then after the last kick, I don't really remember anything because as soon as I turned around, like everyone was on top, like it's kind of hard <laughs> to, to breathe. You know, just trying to get trying to get away, and um, all I wanted to do was just to say um, hello to my wife, who was in the stand. But you couldn't really, you couldn't really do that. It was just everything was just a massive blur. But all the fans and stuff has been awesome. Do you know what I mean like just getting messages nonstop? My phone just keeps going off, and uh, and just to see the town as well, like Birritz, um 
I've, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I've been here for a year and a half now and I've never seen beers like this before with all the fans. And I sure had a few like free drinks yesterday, which was quite cool. It's always better when it's free. But yeah, it's been awesome at the moment. And as I said before, I don't think it's probably kicked in properly yet. Uh, maybe when I get back from my Ibiza, I might have... You said it. What's Ibiza? happening? <laughs> Let us in. What's happening? Where are you going this afternoon? The uh, president thought it would be a nice trip for the boys. Uh, gave us a little carrot. If we win, we're going to Ibiza. So got a phone call yesterday morning saying, oh, we've got two flights. We could leave tomorrow morning or Wednesday morning. Come back Friday, Saturday. Here's two hotels. Pick one. I was like, oh. Okay, this is happening. And as I said <laughs> so before, it's like one of those, like one of those, it's that moment. Wow, hold on. I've been married for 10 years. Uh, tell the boys first or tell the missus. Ooh. It, was, it, took me like, it took me a few minutes to tell my missus. I chose the boys first, sent them all a message quickly saying who's in. And then obviously missus found out and she ah, she was okay. She, she was like, we deserve, like we deserve to do how long the season's been and how things have been going just to go over it, have a few days and then I've got promised I'm not going to drink after I get back. <laughs> You're never going to hold that promise, mate. There's no, no chance. No. <laughs> You're in, Stefan. Did any of the boys reply and say, no thanks? Oh, just the, only only a couple of boys, but everyone else was straight. It was just like, you know, one of those things, just that started pinging their phone, just started like pinging, just non-stop thing. I think like, I think there's only like two or three people not going. I think it's a way for everyone just to say, because obviously we've got a few guys leaving as well. So it's um, a good send off for those boys. And uh, I think we deserve a little breakaway. You 100,000% deserve it, to be fair. like, And obviously I was in the receiving ends, but when you guys won with Toulon, there was always a bit of jealousy, a bit of this. This win, I think, may put a smile on everybody's faces. Everybody was, wasn't cheering particularly against Bayonne, but it's just that, you know, the underdog, you guys put your absolute bodies on the line for the whole hundred minutes or whatever of that game. But I swear to you, I saw you lining up on that last little kick and I was thrown back to 2009. So the Leicester Cardiff semi-final Champions Cup where there goes the penalty shootout. I didn't kick, obviously, Jordan, hallelujah. Jordan <laughs> but Jordan Crane kicks it and nails it. And a lot of guys miss, you know, you don't know what's going on. And then I tell you the story that on the Monday, they then called, every, they lined everybody up who would have been after Jordy Crane. And I, it was me, Julian White, whatever. And I <laughs> whacked it as hard as I can, mate. I didn't even come close to the posts. I think I heard, I heard the, the, the corner post basically that's what i hit and when i saw you lining up you didn't kick too too you, you went pretty softly didn't you yeah. you tried to do something gentle and smart and i was like he's nailed arrest it, well, it. mate that's oh. balls of steel that will that will earn you a trip to abita yes uh, memories for a lifetime 1000 well-deserved beers over the summer and i'm pretty sure around every other week you'll get something just people saying thank you but as as a rugby fan thank you for the emotions because i think we've been loving this and we've been waiting so long to see some genuine heart i mean that turnover at the 78th minute you're massively on the side okay but who cares you get it <laughs> and you, you know you yeah. deliver and you turn it over it's just those moments you're gonna break and then ah, they're back you know and it's just pure grit and heart and heart and heart it was it was brilliant to see. Yeah, it was because we thought like I I thought they were gonna go for a drop goal. They were actually planning oh, to go for a drop mate. goal. Yeah. And I don't know why they didn't they didn't take it, but I think it's one of those like you could see how the game was going. They tried to kick into touch. They said, Oh, we can bully them in the drives, but like up the field, like from fifty, they, they bullied us a little bit in the drives. Like they got a little bit of a headway sometimes, like 10, 10 15 meters, but on our try line, 
in our minds, like literally, we just have to go in there, nothing to lose, just literally smash them. And they did it, they did it three times in a row, and we stopped over soon. And then they started going for points, and that's when I knew up front that like, we had them, and I knew all well, we had to just keep playing, and just keep playing our rugby. And then something that happened, someone's going to break, and obviously no one broke. It just stayed, <laughs> stayed the same way for the for the whole for the whole way. But it's just, it's truly just one of those. I'm just so proud of the boys because for once. Like we went out there and for the whole 80 minutes or whole 100 minutes, literally the boys were putting their body on the line. Talk to me about that Dyer guy. Is he Fijian? Mate, wow, he had a big game. <laughs> Mate, he's awesome. He just came back on and he was just carried like an animal. Yeah, he's not he's really a, a lock, is he? I think he could play six no, probably no. or eight or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's when he first came. So we were playing in the back row together. So, And then obviously we had a few injuries, like a few uh, concussions with Andy. Andy Evan being uh, out breaking his foot, um, so we literally had no one, and he was like, "Well, no, he's heavy. He's heavy enough." So they were like, "Okay, let's stick him in there." And literally, he's been he's been there from the like from the well, whenever he started, he's played every single game in second row. But even though we've got like a full, everyone's back now for second row, they still kept him in there. But he's unbelievable. Like he's, I mean, it's always good to have someone like that as well, who's got kind of like the similar kind of uh, similar kind of play as me. Which yeah. is always good to it's always good to have. You know, he's really good over the ball, ball, uh, ball carrying, and he's there when you when you need him. Those big moments. You know, he had a few steals on the weekend. Those big moments, he's there, and I think he's going to do good for Fiji this week. Um, I think they're playing New Zealand this weekend. I think so. He's off there. He's he was on the flight the the morning after, so he hasn't done anything with us yet. Oh, he was a monster. And you look through the team, like there's some real quality. See, they've obviously got yourself, Fran Saili, Henry Spate, uh, Dyer, some decent young, like Ali Watt, I played with the second row, again, carried like a monster. Doesn't technically like set the world alight, but just trucks up like guts. Obviously nice to have, there's a massive step up. You're going to go to top 14 and notoriously, yeah. it's incredibly hard for anybody to stay up, especially that last game. You've got three weeks to do recruitment. So how big a job is it going to be for Matt Clarkin, Jean-Baptiste Aldiger, these guys to get recruitment in and try and bolster the squad for next season already? It's uh, it's massive. I think they they should have started. They should have started anyway. Like, listen, I have I I truly believe you know things happen for a reason. So the weekend we lost the Perpignan finals, it was just a stepping stone to say we've still got another game, a bigger game to play. And so happens it was a buy on. So I truly believed that we were going to go up to, to 14. And that's what my goal was coming to the Bureau in the first place. And I told everyone the whole season, there's loads of people who doubted us who said things like, oh, yeah, we won't, we're not good enough to be there. I said, you know what, let people talk. I'm going to show them my boys. We're going to show them the difference. And I think they should have been looking, they should have had people ready. Like, if we go up, if we don't go up. So those people should be in the line already. So I'm hoping that's what he's done. If, well, if you're a smart person, you would you would have that set up already. So I know they I know they're on it. They're on it straight away. So we need to we need a few we need a few players, and then we just need to keep the boys. Some of the boys we've got quite a lot of young young talents like Lucas Perez Blanc. He's so, awesome. He's, he's good. real I've, good. I've told him already. He will be in a French team eventually. You just got to keep your head down, keep doing what you're doing, and just uh, evolve. Because now he's he's on the big stage now, and it's the time for him to it's time for him to shine. But not just him. Another one, Mathieu. Again, he didn't play. He's another back row. So we've got, we've actually got a lot of young players, and I think it'll do them good to experience the top fourteen. And obviously, having other players come in who could help as well to give us more, give us, give us more than what we've got at the moment. 
And you mentioned top 14 was always the goal for you, Stefan, but there was, there was pressure, wasn't there? I remember it's been a long season, but we spoke to you at the start of it and um, you were telling us how the owner very much said it's promotional bust. That's what you're here for. Pretty much, yeah. And I think he kept, uh, I think that's really what he wanted. Obviously, like when everything's going on in this club and stuff, we're moving to Lille or San Sebastian or Monaco, you know, there's, there's been a lot of things going on. And one of the main things what he told me is like, yeah, it's pretty much like you've promised me something. It's top 14, so it's either that or nothing. I was like, okay, like, listen, I don't like, I always reach for the stars every time. Do you mean like I will, you tell me like you get 100, I'm like, I want 105. So I'll always, I'll always want more. So my mind, like I knew we were going to go up. So I had faith in the boys and I had faith in, had faith in everyone. So it worked out. Talking 105, Steph, obviously Benji's talked about that running order for when penalty kicks get announced, but you went sixth. You were kicking against the winger. Yeah. I was meant to be number five. (laughs) So, so, because Ali, I've played with Ali, he's a really good kicker as well, the second row. But like, so it's rare that your forwards jump ahead of your backs. How how did that, how, how did you end up coming? Like, is it something you've practiced? Something that you were just... Wanted to step up and lead. How did that happen? Johnny, Johnny, you know this. All backers, we want to be <laughs> we kick, and we kick a thousand kicks during the season just for this moment. Now, it was literally always like Sean came over. Sean was came over. I was like, okay, who's kicking? So it was like, um, obviously, like uh, James Hart was the first, and then I think Sean he knew he knew we were going back. We were going into the penalty shootout when you come down because he took. Henry Spath off to bring on a, a scrum half back on, on a win, obviously, because he's what he's one of the kickers. And they got to three and everyone was like, to him. I was like, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely four. I'm definitely five. <laughs> back yourself. <laughs> Francis, and we were like this. And me and Francis looked at each other and he was like, nah, I've got this. Let me, let me take let me take five. I was like, are you sure? Because I've got this. I'm ready. And he was like, no, 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 just I've got this. I was like, okay. You better get it. <laughs> we just stood there. This is one of these. So we're both there, me and him, and we're trying to just test out tees which one to take and stuff like that. So it's like I had a smaller one. Francis, when he kicked his, and I was like, that's, that's a nice one. This one worked. <laughs> I threw the other one away. <laughs> that one. <laughs> it was like one of those. And as I told everyone like beforehand, I was like, listen, guys, it doesn't matter what happens now. Like, win or lose. It's just, it's a really, really sad way to like someone's going to miss. Do you know what I mean? Someone's going to miss and someone's going to feel, someone's going to feel like shit for a lot of, for a long time. So no matter what happens, boys, I love you guys and that's it. Just go out there and just hit it. Just hit the ball. Don't think about it because we're all winners. Like, no, there's no losers. There's no losers today, obviously. They've gone down, but they it could happen. It could have gone both ways and we had the chance. Did you have the feeling, Steph, that you kind of deserve to win it in regular time? Yeah, because what watching the game, that is one of the, again not for technical reasons, but it's one of the most intense, and I would say, not enjoyable. One of the best games of rugby from intensity that I've ever watched. I was yeah. sitting in Paris with a beer, in the bar by myself watching it, and my stomach was in absolute knots for everybody for both sides. I've got mates, I've played for Bayonne, know you guys really well, know half the team. In that moment, and I think now watching it back when you see the replays, it's probably going to be one of the most historic and iconic moments in top 14 history. Like there are not many games where you see that much turmoil. We've talked, there's one other penalty shootout that we've seen and it was Leicester against Cardiff. 
when I, I think I'd have been 20 years old, Benji, you'd have been the same age you were playing, but it's just ridiculous. And so now having captained the side this year, having stepped up to win a Bass Derby in itself, which is phenomenal, and also to get Biarritz back in the top 14, relegate Bayonne and knock over the winning kick. Like, how do you sum that all up? It's absolutely freakish. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, like literally, I don't know, it still hasn't kicked in. So I think maybe it might be me because I'm still a little bit drunk right now. But we'll have to have another conversation probably after when I'm like a little bit sober. Now, it's um, for me, that last bit, I mean, it was, I wanted to put myself in that situation because I felt like most of those boys, they've still got their whole careers. Quite a lot of them have got their whole careers ahead of them. Do you know what I mean? And like for me, it's like coming coming to the end, coming near the end. And um, I rather it was me that missed than any other, any other my teammates. And that's the thing. They everyone deserves a chance to play in the top fourteen, and everyone deserved that chance. So, and obviously, Beerus have been waiting eight years for this as well. So it was. Do you know I mean, it's still like I'm still trying to get that round my head. Like it's been eight years that this club. A club that I used to watch when I was younger. Do you know I mean I used to support Beerus? I had like a Beerus shirt when I was younger. To think that they haven't been in top fourteen for that long, it's uh, it's just all weird. Have you then got a little thought for Emmerich Luke? You obviously yeah, missed the kick for Bayonne, young kid, but he's probably been the best player. I'm not sure if you watched many of Bayonne's games this year. He's been probably their best player. Yeah. Like, what would you be saying to him now? Again, in your role as as captain, sort of father father figure in the group. Obviously, you stepped up and took that kick. He was really unfortunate to miss, but he's been phenomenal. Like, have you got any words that you want to pass on to him? He showed, I want to say that straight up, this is for him as well. Like, he stepped up, he showed the guts to, to come up, and that shows how much of a big player he is. Like, in those sorts of situations, it's, it's tough. But I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you probably there was not that many people who actually put their hand up to actually take the kick. I mean, because we got in that situation with the fifth kick, or um, the, the sixth kick for them. I mean, that's, it's a do or die. I mean, but he stuck up his hand. So all my thing is, he's got a massive future ahead of him. And um, like literally for the season that he's, the season that he's actually accomplished this season, he should hold his head high. There's nothing to be, nothing to be sad about. And I don't think anyone will fucking blame him for, for missing that kick. You know, it's a tough, it's a tough time. So keep his head up and he'll bounce back, prove people wrong next year. It's how you become a good rugby player, how you become a good person, is to put things behind it and then move on. How good was it to have all those fans in the stadium? There was only 5,000, not one more. That's what we've heard is the official line. But how good was it? Like the noise that came, it was like a wall of noise. You could feel it. How good was it to have that pumping behind you, to have fans back in the stadium and energised? Because it was such an emotional performance. It must have been insane. I think that's it. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And that shows... Like no one wanted to, no one wanted to give up. Like for the whole hundred minutes, everyone was just giving everything, just to have those guys in the head of the supporters cheer you on. That gives you, and I've said this before. Like we've always been in a situation where we've always only played rugby probably seventy percent, because the other thirty percent is where we just, do you know what I mean, where we just end up losing it. And it always normally it's always like the second half where we just underperform for some reason. But having the supporters back cheering you on and stuff that gives you that thirty percent that you're missing. Do you know what I mean? Just to have them there cheering you on, like doesn't matter who. It didn't matter. I didn't matter who which side they were cheering for. It's just the pure fact there was there was five thousand people in the stands. I just thought it was amazing, and it's uh, like I can't wait for it to actually be fully 
fully back open where we can have a full, like proper full stadium. We can have more than 5,000. <laughs> <laughs> How good is it to see that picture of the president where he's in the middle of the, of, of the pitch where everybody's on around him. He doesn't have a mask and he's screaming like this. And the quote is like, no, it was only 5,000 people. We respected absolutely everything. Or well, you see some people have got masks and he's there in the middle, like cheering on with everyone. I was like, okay. You're doomed. You're doomed. Just skip on next week. That's why you guys are going to Ibiza. I just want to get out of France to get out of from the heat a little bit. <laughs> so we'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. Exactly. That's what his thing was. And I think like, he couldn't hold it back. He was crying. He, had, I think, like, he went through every single emotions, I reckon. But I haven't, like, I haven't spoken to him properly yet, uh, other than talking about Ibiza. So I'm sure we're going to have, uh, we'll have a chat this uh, I might just not talk to him for a couple of days. <laughs> it, might be best. it might be best I stay away from him. <laughs> You've made him and the whole of beer. It's very happy, Stefan. So um, congratulations and have a massive few days in Ibiza. Thank you very much. I'll give you guys, I'll send you guys some videos from Ibiza tomorrow. Enjoy, mate. Cheers, Steph. Enjoy, bud. Well deserved. Uh, it's 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 genuinely a legendary rugby moment that happened. He was so instrumental. I mean, like, again, I, I love Biritz and, and Kudbaska as 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 a region. I had no allegiance to either team, but you you just saw a, a, a red and white sort of team that were ready to give absolutely everything. Bayonne repeatedly making mistakes, and like you said, the big players shining and the big players coming. I absolutely adore. I wish I would have been a little mouse and to listen to the, to that little chat that he described to us just before the penalty shootout. That's that's the the big guys that step up in those moments. You know how how important is it for all those guys that are going to kick just after who who their heart is probably like bouncing off their chest and you hear Stefan Amish, boys, I love you. There's no losers here. Whatever happens, we're going to go get this together. You know that's that's the real true in the midst of of of, of things. Uh, real leadership and and I'm, I'm super impressed by it and then he he only had to, the nuts of steel to then convert and back his words with action Dream. and that's 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 legendary status and i really do think he's going to realize in the next couple of weeks months years whenever he packs it hangs up the boots he's going to remember england obviously he's going to remember london irish he's going to remember toulon for sure he'll still remember that that day he pretty much carried, not single-handedly, but almost single-handedly carried the leadership of a team to one of the biggest drama upsets, whatever uh, game that the second division of, 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 of professional France rugby has ever seen. And I think he'll be mega proud about what he's done. And I think if you're not from this area or you've never played for either of the sides, or even if you're out from outside France, you don't really understand how the magnitude of that game how big the Basque Derby is in itself, even without the context of having that session match. It's the biggest game for both clubs. Like historically, each president will send, I think, a thousand tickets to the opposition president and they each year refuse them. They're like, we will not set foot in Bayonne. No, we will not set foot in Bayonne. They absolutely hate each other. So for, for Steph to step up in those moments, lead the way he did, play the way he played. And don't get me wrong, having played for Bayonne, Beerits were better over the 80 minutes, over the 100 minutes in terms of what they produced on the field, the desire, the hunger, the drive. And again, they were massively driven by that home support. I think that's why an away team has never won that game. In the three or four, Benji, I think this is the fourth one, the away side from the top 14 has never won. And they just didn't have the solutions. But just the magnitude of that game, Bass Derby, for Beerits to have relegated Bayonne in that fashion with the drama that we watched unfold and the intensity 
was unbelievable. It was one of the most important games of rugby I think I've watched in France over the past 10 years. It was just insane. So look, and you mentioned that he stepped up the way he played. Dyer, Saili, Gav Stark, young winger from Kiwi Winger. Like, yeah, just sensational. Like, so good. And clearly they have the level to go up and play in top 14. They've also got a lot of young French kids that have played in the top 14 before. Ilian Parot, the, the 10 that came off. Um, Ali Watt. Evan Olmsted, the Canadian, they've, they've got some depth, but they're going to have to add. Like the, the next three, four weeks is absolutely critical for their chance of survival because we've seen teams that have gone up too soon and it's been extremely hard. I think Perpignan already, but Biarritz, like that was absolutely fueled on, on emotion, but you cannot do that for the duration of a top 14 season. So they're going to have to add some quality, but just what a game. And then you need to realize how much of a roller coaster of a season has been for Biarritz. I mean, when did we ever hear a club saying, listen, the town hall does not want to back us we're going to move yeah. to Lille. They're going to move the club. So imagine if you're the president, Jean-Baptiste Alligier, and then next week you're going to meet up with the mayor. You've got a big old fat smile on your face and be like, right, you didn't want to back us. Now we actually converted on, on the sporting side. Now help you us. need to step up, right? Come on, help and, us. But it's going to take a while. There's still a massive project behind it. I mean, apparently the facilities are, you know, really, really out of date. And then and the, the project was on the Bayonne side. So it's constantly that race of between, you know, who's going to have the, the pride of just more than a game, who's going to be the king of the area. So it's to be able to balance that, the uncertainty of what's going on in Beritz in the next couple of seasons, the uncertainty of finances, the uncertainty due to pandemic, the uncertainty due to the fact that Bayonne seemed to have a stronger project coming. and still, and still they deliver over 100 minutes. So that's, that's, that is massive. Benji, I, the gut feel I get from talking to you is that you think the two clubs should fuse. Would that be right? Yeah, I, 100%. So, yeah, I think he would have hated me for saying that because it's too, it's too sore, it. too, yeah. too, too near. Listen, for me, Pays Basque, La Côte Basque, whatever, the Southwest is one of the most beautiful regions in France, all right? It's an absolutely stunning place, 40 minutes from Spain. You have the mountains, you have the Atlantic, you have, you're not far from Toulouse, whatever. They absolutely adore their rugby mm -hmm. and they are super proud of, of the Basque heritage. Whether you believe in it, whether you're a real Basque or not, there's a special language, there's special songs, there's special um, uh, sort of, you know, delicacies or whatever you want to call them. There's a special way of life and they're very, very proud about it. But you have those two teams that are five Mate. miles or three miles next to each 4K. other. Four it's Richmond and them. London. They touch each other. It's the same thing. It's the same people. Most Bayonne players live in Berets and vice versa. It's, it, um, and I mean, look, they, they hate each other. And I was listening to Imanol Arinorduki, the, the former number eight for Berets, who yeah. was saying that whenever they go to, whenever they go to the Fed de Bayonne, that everybody dresses in white and red, right? They, they, that's the traditional sort of way of dressing up. And even the Bayonne fans will do it. They don't care. They will still party together. They're still very, very proud. So I'm just thinking, It's about time that they that they put their 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 hands together and be like, right, let's create a Basque identity. Let's have this one club in top 14, still have all the youngsters in the, the academy and the under 18s or 20s or whatever you want to still play for Bayonne and for Beritz, don't get me wrong, but have one professional entity that can be able to combine both sponsors, be able to combine both facilities, both projects, and finally shoot together. I mean, if you have the fan base with the sponsoring from, from, from Buritz. If you have both teams, you look at the, the squad that you can have. You're talking about next year, they're going to need some depth. Bloody hell, they could use the 23 players from Bayonne because there's some really good players in there. So I'm just thinking now would be the time, especially if Buritz are looking almost to relocate 
Go to San Sebastian if you want. I don't They're care. They're not relocating, mate. It's all political game. Look, things are, it's been a clash of personalities with Aldi J and the Biarritz mayor. Yeah. But it's going to have to happen eventually. They're going to have to dip their hands in their pocket and invest in the, in the stadium, the infrastructure of the club, because it is very dated. But look, when you talk about, I think it's really easy when you're from outside it or you haven't been in it to talk about fusing the two clubs. But when you live here, when you see the passion and the hatred between the two sides and the fact that they will not even go to a neighboring stadium, some older people here, Benji, struggle to walk in the streets of Bayonne if they're from Biarritz and vice versa. They absolutely hate each other that much. So you'd be ripping up, a again, you roll your eyes, but if you've lived here and you've lived it with these people, they are passionate human beings. And if you rip it up 100 years yeah, of history... Not, not to the point where old people can't walk into the other town. Mate, Come on, I, what are you talking about? I promise about? you, they don't. They refuse to go to Biarritz and people from Biarritz yeah, they refuse, refuse to come but into the town centre. It's not like they're going to get mugged in, into, no, into town centres, no, you know? No, but they get there like, oh, geez, I had to go for the... Oh, I had to eat in the in town centre with my mates, but it was in Biarritz. Ugh, and they're like... They feel you know, dirty about it. Back. Exactly. It's an agree and a grievance to have to go to the neighbouring neighboring town because they hate them that much. I think if you rip that up and the fan base in, in Bayonne is much more elderly populations, so there's loads of demographics and dynamics that you have to take in consideration. Who is your fan base? Who do you want to bring in? Okay, if we create a Basque identity, which is extremely, extremely important and at the forefront of most people's minds down here, are they going to come support is the, is the big question. Would they come in and put their bum in a seat and, and take a season ticket? And honestly, I'm not sure they would. You'd have to sort of go for the next generation of kids coming through the new generation and say, this is your new team and you would lose a lot of supporters. So look, if you asked him and all, he'd say absolutely not. Even though he's extremely proud of being Basque, he'd be like, no way am I going to go and sit and watch a game in Bayon Stadium. And so he just wouldn't do it. And It's crazy, but that's just the way people are down here. So financially, absolutely makes sense. Also, they've got a massive reservoir of players. If you look at the guys that are playing elsewhere in the top 14, you've got Echuria up in Clermont, you've got Olivon, you've got Etriar at Toulon. I think if they manage to retain with a slightly better budget and better infrastructure, better facilities in the two and retain the players they produce because they've got loads of real rugby villages around here that produce loads of kids, you'd have two phenomenal teams. Um, but look, it's a, it's a hard task for anyone to do, but that's what Tayeb at Bayonne and that's what Aldi at Biarritz so have got on their hands for the minute. Let's have a look at the barrage now then in the top 14. And you guys were worried for Stade Francais against Racing when we spoke about it last week. And they were completely outplayed, weren't they? Yeah, so funny, funny. there was a cute story in it. I actually spoke to him yesterday for something else. But I spoke to Gael Ficou, who was a bit um, under pressure because obviously, you know, he left Stade Francais. I think Stade Francais were trying to get rid of him in the summer. I think that's basically what I'm gathering because of salary cap reasons and because they weren't particularly happy with his ratio of money investment and, and performance on the pitch. That's their idea, their, their season. I think he's a phenomenal player and he's a great bloke. Um, and so when he heard that, he was like, well, if you don't want me to stay next year, I might as well leave now, right? And Racing basically offered him a hand and Gael Figu gets along really well with Yannick Nyonga. Who's, uh, who we had on the show and who's, who's director of rugby there or director of operations, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so he went. But obviously then playing them in the barrage because nobody saw Stade Francais come back, but fair play to them, they did by winning, what, six or seven games in a row or something like that. And so the last team that he wanted to have in front of him was probably Stade. And I thought he played individually incredibly well. And I adored his attitude at the end where he could tell he was genuinely happy, but he didn't, he didn't smile once. 
He just went to shake everybody's hands. Everybody was jumping. And you could tell he just wanted to go back to the changing room and let all that pressure off his shoulders and finally breathe. And that's what he said. He said, no, no, there was no way in the world. He said, don't get me wrong. I wanted to win that one bad. He was really, really motivated. But there was also a sense of he's genuinely very happy about his his time in Stade Francais. He's made some really good mates. He's got some, you know, when you go through tough moments, you create sort of a special bond with guys. So he didn't want to joke and, and mess, mess that up. And they did really well. But to talk about the game, Stade Francais got just absolutely blown away in the first half. There was only one team on, on the pitch, which was racing. They, they were outpacing them, outmuscling them. But then Stade Francais, when they play, they still have some hard hitters. I mean, Kremer, the Argentinian guy who came on, boof, he is a monster of a man. Uh, Latou played well. And, and you know, they just went at it. Waisea, the, the Fijian center, who's a bit of a freak when, when, when he's on it. And they just then came back and gradually just crawled a couple of tries and just tried to fight back. And racing were, were basically dominated the whole second half, but had too much of a lead. And so the better team went through. But to put that into context, it was 35-0 at halftime, I think. The game was gone. You know, so Traver was taking people off, preserving people for the semi-final. Almost watching that first half, I got the impression that Stade Francais, their final was that win at Bayonne last weekend. You know, finishing in the top six, securing European rugby. I think that was their final. And then how they rocked up and how they approached the game the first half, mate, they were nowhere near. Like, not at the races at all. Defence was shocking. Their discipline... But they couldn't get into the game because they kept giving away penalties. I think they gave away 12 penalties in the first half. Normally, any team tries to keep it under 10 over 80 minutes. I think they had a yellow card after the sixth penalty and they just kept digging themselves a grave. And it was easy for Racing on that pitch with the talent they have. It was way too easy. Um, so that almost, like we were in commentary, it was almost a humiliation. The first half was a humiliation for Stade Francais and the second half was just purely saving face. And I think that's what they did. Um, they don't go on holidays completely humiliated, but that first half was bad and, and the game was gone and it was clear. Um, so they got almost easy, too easy for Racing. Again, we talked about the context of the Bass Derby, but the Parisian Derby was way too easy, way, way too easy for Racing. Um, and they marched on to semi-finals. And we did say last week as well, it was always going to be an uphill battle for Claremont at Bordeaux, Benji. They played really well. Uh, I was really happy for them. Um, they played with some proper, proper determination. It was a, it was a very, very physical game. Uh, they're not there to joke around. You always have to put things in consideration that uh, Sita Timani went back to Australia for personal reasons. He's actually picked for the Wallabies, which is he's very in cool. France in the summer, which is a cool story. But then you one man down, and then his little brother Seva Maina, who is a monster and very important for Clermont, is out for the rest of the season. So now they're really hanging on by a thread, by a thread a little bit. Um, and um, but it was obviously the last game of Franck Azema. You know, there's a lot of emotions in there. I really thought they played well. I really thought they gave a good, uh, they gave Bordeaux a proper run for their money. They, 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 they went absolutely full tilt at it. But in those really tight games, there's a moment where Arthur Ituria is about to score a try. And obviously he gets it whacked under his arms in the end zone and can't convert. And then two penalties later, they're five meters out of their line, overthrow, pick up by Bordeaux score. So, you know, it's one of those, it's almost 14 points, basically. You should have put seven swing. and then you concede seven and that was it. And that was the decider. So, uh, and after that, it's like three points here, three points there, you know, each team going at it. But the le, le mal était fait, the, the harm was done. And, um, but, but I was really proud of them. I thought they played really well. There's still some incredible talent in there. 
bit of an emotional moment for for Frank, and I uh, had some few texts from the boys where it was a it's a proper chapter that's 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 closed now in Clermont, and they've got to move on. And Bernard Gouta is going to go coach in New Orleans because Clermont-Ferrand have got I think they got 10% to 15% of the MLR uh, franchise uh, in America. A page is turning in Clermont. Guys are leaving. Franck Azema has been there for He was absolutely instrumental um, and really left an absolute legacy to the club. But it's time to move on. And so that's why the emotion was uh, were absolutely sky high. And, and, and the boys really tore into, into that game. But just, just on the, that key moment, like I said to you, not scoring, conceding the try was just too much. Uh, but but I'm 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 very proud of them. Uh, I'm and I feel that I'm turning that page with them. Uh, but I think the future is bright and they're going to do really well. Uh, and it was probably the kick in the nuts that Bordeaux needed not to win too easy because let's not forget they lost to Toulouse the the last home game. Uh, they lost to was it away the, the weekend be, uh, before that. So mm-hmm. they they've been sort of piling on losses a little bit. Christophorios was particularly unhappy. So that's the wake up call probably that they needed. Uh, to then properly step up, but Toulouse is a whole different mountain. But uh, but they can um, it'll, it'll be a hell of a game. And the interesting thing for for Bordeaux is that this season they've lost. They haven't beaten Toulouse. They've lost three times. They've lost home and away, and they lost their Champions Cup where their prep was ruined. So they've got another step. It's massive that they've just got this far. They're in a semi. But Christoph has talked about how they have to find a solution and they have to find something different to beat Toulouse because they haven't managed it this season. So huge game for them. And also just the game in generally, it wasn't the best standard. I think it was like 36 degrees in Bordeaux, but extreme humidity. So the ball was covered in sweat. Loads of knock-ons, loads of unforced errors. It wasn't pretty to watch. But then I think Bordeaux of old would have lost that game and they would have been steamrolled by Clermont. But the fact that they've taken a few more steps, they're building nicely, Team spirit kind of shone through. And also, they had a few guys that were just enormous, like walkie line-out time, Jalibert off the tee, Luku, the way he kicked from deep and gave his side some territory and, and got his team out of jail a couple of times. Big Ben Tamifuna, when he came on, the turnovers he came up with, like just freakish in the jackal area. And Remy Lamarat, my old mate from Cast, who, ball of physicality, was like a human pinball, just absolutely everywhere, smashing his body to bits. So it's massive for the club. Uh, we've spoken to um, to a couple of boys there. They're on this journey. It's fantastic, but they have to find something different this week. They haven't beaten Toulouse at all this year. They haven't even come close, really. So to take another step forward and get into a final, they have to find an extra gear. Let's have a look ahead to the semifinals in Lille now then. And how big is it that Toulouse and La Rochelle have had a week off? Oh, I think it's 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 massive. They'll be delighted. Um, more Toulouse than La Rochelle, probably. Um, but Toulouse are desperately in need of just a little bit more depth within their squad. I mean, they were struggling with the whole, the Arnold brothers and and a couple of injuries. Jerome Kano, you know, the old bones. You give him a week, it's it's a breath of fresh air, and uh, and to just concentrate on the last two eighty minutes of of his career, or at least the first first eighty minutes, and then they'll see. So um, no, no, I think it's absolutely massive. They needed it, and and probably La Rochelle used it to work even more to probably polish up instead of getting refreshed. They probably worked on their strategy and just getting geared up for the rest. But those four sides are rock solid. Those four sides are particularly, uh, so you say, homogene. They're almost at the same level. Uh, so it will be it will be absolutely incredible uh, rugby at the weekend. Super tight margins, as you can expect. Uh, with with 5,000 fans, it will be good under pre- pretty heavy, hot conditions. So it might influence a little bit the, the, their capacity to keep on going. But 
but it will be it will be the type of knockout rugby that we all love about about top 14 and how do you see them going johnny I think for La Rochelle and for Toulouse, it's advantage to both of them. Having that week off, having that bit of freshness, especially having gone through all the Champions Cup rugby, that extra layer of fatigue, that might have given them a little bit of boost just to have those few days off to chill um, and to regenerate physically and then mentally go absolutely for it. So I think it's going to be leaning for me towards the two sides that had a rest, Toulouse and La Rochelle. Repeat of the Champions Cup final, Benji? Yeah, I, I see it happening that way. Again, that's all down to to the lack of um, how do you say that extraordinary event, an intercept try, a red card, you know something that you didn't sort of see coming. And I think if the logic is respected, Toulouse will sneak a win against Bordeaux and Laosha will do the same against Racing, even though both both games will be very tight. And then we'll end up with a repeat of Champions Cup for the final, which will be very interesting to see if it's a different type of rugby that's played, if if Laosha just can, I don't know, can outperform on pure physicality rather than the high tempo European rugby or they'll still stick the same thing and then you can rethink that that whole year a red card of Levani Botia you know would have would have would have what if what if what if well we'll see but yeah I, I think if the logic is respected if there's no intercept try no crazy red card but at the moment it seems to happen sort of every other week uh, I think those two teams should 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 beat their opponents in the semi before we go Johnny we spoke at length about the Basque derby but you've got a bit of intel, haven't you, on Bayon behind the scenes? Not intel, just what's been reported in the press. Um, so a lot of news coming out. And Yannick Brew, after the game finished, was very thankful. It wasn't like, a, this is the journey we're going on. Let's all stick in it together. It was more of a thanks of the works that's gone in over the past three years. So I think the players kind of got the impression that it might be curtains. Um, and look, it's been rumored in the press as well that potentially Rassing are looking for him to come up. So I don't know. Look, it's just incredibly tough for Bayon generally. If you like Yannick signed, I think, a four or five year contract, 2024, 2025. He is the head of everything and probably the most positive aspect of the performance side of Bayon. So if you lose him now, coupled with the fact that you're also going to lose probably your best 10 to 15 players, it becomes incredibly hard. So it's not a nice rumor, um, but that's what's coming out in the press. And, and the players kind of got the impression that might be happening. So we'll have to sort of stay tuned over the next few days, few weeks, and, and see if he ends up jumping ship and heading somewhere else. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. A massive thanks to Stefan Armitage, who is on his way to Ibiza now. Not jealous at all. And a big <laughs> thanks to all of you for listening as well. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can as well. And we will be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. Cheers, fellas. Bye. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.